Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. We uh, kick it off on a Wednesday. That's a silly uh, transition to talk about a f- with a football player about kicking it off. But you never kicked, did you? Um, no. Maybe I practiced. Maybe I, I, I had a few drop kicks. I insisted it could be done in a game. <laughs> but uh, I had to settle for watching Doug Flutie do that uh, for the Patriots. He's Randy Cross, uh, former lineman with the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, all of a sudden, it becomes popular if you're an NFL quarterback not to show up at OTAs. Kyler Murray's not coming, wants a new contract. Aaron Rodgers doesn't come. Uh, before I deal with those two guys, what's going on in San Francisco? Who is the quarterback? <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of to, to have a flashback to the 50s. That's the $64,000 question. Um, it's you know pretty obvious whether it's immediately in the short term or the long term, you know, the quarterback's going to be Trey Lance. It's just a matter of, you know, when the timing is right for that. And, you know, the value of Jimmy G uh, was lessened by the arm surgery, but, you know, people kind of glaze right over the fact they could have done this during the season last year. You could have put the kid in, when Jimmy Garoppolo had the, you know, the busted thumb and he had the tore up arm and all that other stuff, but they chose not to do that. So, you know, are they going to lead off right this second with Trey Lance? Yeah, by all indications, there's a chance of that, but, you know, I, I don't think it's settled. It's far from settled. And until they find a new home for Jimmy G, it's going to be an open subject. So are they effectively uh, shopping Garoppolo? Well, as much as you can. You know, it's it, you know, it's kind of like putting uh, putting a putting a, an old car that needs a new transmission on Facebook Marketplace. You know, you're shopping; it's available, but you need the right buyer, um, and they're going to need a, the right buyer. He's got to prove, you know, that that, that arm is right, which you know, I. All the guys done in the last two years is, you know, go to a Super Bowl. Unfortunately, they lost, and uh, get the team to a championship game last year against the Rams in a in a tight one, and they lost that one too. So, I don't know. It's uh, there, there's there's worse problems to have in the NFL uh, than two guys that you think can play. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of teams that settle for one. You know, you, you bring up an interesting point <clears throat> from the standpoint of here's a guy who in the recently last couple of years has done an excellent job uh, in terms of getting a team to a, to a spot where they could win it all. And, and, you know, most quarterbacks would look at it and say, hey, look what I've done. What's the problem here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's a strange, strange kind of a deal. It's exacerbated by the injuries. But, you know, like I just said a little while ago, I mean, it's also almost made more obvious that there, there right now is a is a difference, at least in somebody's mind in San Francisco and the in the Bay Area with the 49ers, that there's a difference between the two. Because if you're if you're going to say, look, I'm going to play the guy that is not physically correct. I'm going to play the guy that I know has got a an arm that needs surgery. I know he's got a break and a in the other hand or in the other wrist. Um, and I'm going to play that guy instead of the guy I gave up the ransom for. 
it's you know it, it, it begs questions let's put it that way but um this is the off season it's the silly season so this is the time of the year the teams are awarded lombardi trophies over how they draft and you know how good they look in otas and you know how good the quarterback throws and walkthroughs and how many how many of your passes and your uh otas can stay off of instagram is always a nice thing you know you bring up a a, a point that i wanted to ask you uh we always evaluate teams' success or failure at the draft uh, before we've seen them play it down. Uh, the, and the uh, who are the hits, who are the misses, based on what we've known over the course of time, we know that there have been probably almost as many misses as have been hits. I mean, let's just look at somebody like Jamarcus Russell. This guy was the number one pick in the draft by the Raiders, and he fell flat on his face. But he's not the only one. So why why this quick uh, think uh, the quick quick thought by teams or by media guys to say no this team had a big hit this team graded out an A this team graded out a C how do you know for a couple of three years right no uh, you don't you really you really don't uh, and you know today's it's kind of like the news business um, the the news business is all about now being first it's not about being right. And so sports has now sort of mimicked that and mirrored that. So you don't necessarily have to be right. You just got to be the first person to say something. <laughs> so people are more than willing to declare people up or more than willing to put people in the Hall of Fame. Um, and that's also sort of the nature of social media. It's, social media doesn't thrive on calm, rational thinking. Social media thrives on far crazy or far crazy right far crazy left you know far crazy good far crazy bad that's how social media works and that's what feeds it and you know that's kind of the reality of where you're sitting and that that makes the whole process if you're a general manager it used to be people gave you a couple of years on a draft that ain't true anymore it really isn't and you know the the guys out there like the Trey Lances that that have had a chance to sit and learn a little bit at least are pretty unusual because most guys if you're not a quarterback uh, coming off of a situation like he had where he didn't have much playing time and hasn't had much general exposure in the game period um, you're expected to go right away you know you you look like you look at some of the guys that went in this draft um, you know you look at the Jets duo or you look at the philly duo um you really think they're gonna say oh well those young guys can sit and learn for a while <laughs> you know if they don't if they don't contribute right now you know the the, the peasants and the pitchforks and the torches are going to be at the door for the general manager pretty quick yeah no doubt about it he's randy cross former san francisco 49er talking about quarterbacks uh the Miami Dolphins go out and, and uh, make a deal to bring in Tyreek Hill, you know, an explosive wide receiver. Uh, he, uh, he was being romanced by not only the Dolphins, but the New York Jets as well, who presented Kansas City with a very attractive package. But Tyreek Hill wanted to go to Miami, and there wasn't anything that the Jets were going to do that was going to change that. Uh, he, that's where he's from. Oh, by the way, the state income tax is pretty uh, advantageous. But we look at Tua, now in Miami, Tua Tagovailoa, 
and he's got Tyreek Hill, he's got Jalen uh, Waddle. But I'm going to ask you this: Tyreek Hill had a lot of success with Patrick Mahomes. Can we forecast the same success with Tua? Yeah, you know the the sort of extrapolated thinking that I really enjoy is because you know. Um, you got an offensive coordinator at San Francisco with a very creative head coach who is now a head coach in Miami. So because of the association and he gets Tyreek, I think people kind of half expect, hey, you know what? Tyreek's got sort of the same kind of body. Maybe he can do with Tyreek what they did with Debo. Hmm. Um, and they can use him in, as a, a running back some. And he can run the ball. He can run reverses. He can get him into... You know, how about you just say, how about if you can use him like Kansas City used him, and that's how you use the guy. Um, and, and you've got that kind of quarterback. I'm, I, I really like personally. I like Tua. I, I like the way he plays. I like his composure. Um, is he perfect at this point? No, he's a young quarterback. Hell, none of them are perfect. Um, but it's going to be fun to see. What, you know, between Waddle and Hill and Tua with his feet and whatnot, what that offense is going to be like. Because, trust me, they've got a new head coach that has got an an imagination offensively. And that's something that it not only excites fans, it excites the hell out of the players. Because the players see the, the success that offense in San Francisco had. And if you're a Miami Dolphin or in your, if you're Tyreek Hill, if you're Waddell or whoever, you're looking at that going, man, I can't wait to open the playbook every Monday morning when I find out what's coming or every Wednesday morning when the game plan comes out, you know, what I'm going to do that week because there's going to be some, some fun stuff going on. When you look at the, uh, and you're aware of this, obviously, you're saying if you're going to grade, what's the toughest division for all the measuring stick? Uh, the best quarterback list, uh, explosive team, great defensive team, etc. Who would you think is is great? Would grade higher the NFC West or the AFC West? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a heck of a situation there. Um, I you know I'd go with just the the splash and sort of the flavor, and, and that would be the AFC West. You know, with with Mahomes and Herbert, and um, just go down that list uh, with Russ Wilson coming in there at Denver. Uh, that makes that division sort of the quarterback stop, which is going to be fun to watch. Now the a- NFC West, a little bit more uncertainty. What's going on in Seattle? We talked a little bit about about San Francisco. You know, what's going on with that group? Um, but, you know, there's nothing uncertain about what the Rams are doing. And there's really nothing uncertain about what's going on with Kyler Murray outside of the fact that, you know, we're going to have to get somewhere just south of $300 million in a contract to get him happy. Yeah, you look at uh, a team like Las Vegas as an example. They pick up a Devontae Adams, one of the premier receivers in the league. And he's old college pal as Derek Carr is playing quarterback now with the Raiders. All of a sudden, you look at them as, yeah, why not them? Uh, the Chargers have Herbert, yeah. Oh, the Broncos got a guy by the name of Russell Wilson. Uh, 
I, I, I mean, when, when I first heard that trade, I was saying, well, you know, Seattle's doing what they got to do. They're not winning with them. So let's turn it into something. And, you know, where do you place Denver in the AFC West? Um, I think if, if you have a team in that division, you have to kind of gift them a position of being the first team. It would kind of be Kansas City based on what they've done, the most recent returns. But if you had a team where you'd look at it and you'd go, man, you better be careful with these guys. Um, it'd be the Denver Broncos with Russell Wilson. Because, mm. you know, I, one thing that jumps out at me, Howard, when I look at players and I look at sometimes you, you just come across a bio when you're doing research. How in the hell has Russell Wilson not been the MVP of this league at least three or four times in his career when you look at the way he's played? But he's played like it. He hasn't been rewarded like it. But he's that kind of a player. And if he keeps being that good, he's that missing piece. I mean, they haven't had that kind of miss that that kind of piece at quarterback, you know, since they well, I, I guess I'd throw Peyton in there. But, you know, Peyton wasn't exactly, you know, in prime tools by the time he got to Denver. But, you know, he had that presence. And I guarantee you, not only does he have the, does Russell Wilson have that kind of presence, he's got the physical presence too. Well, you know, let's mention the other side of that trade. Is Drew Locke who goes to Seattle. Uh, we yeah. assume he's going to be the number one quarterback. But you're in a division now with the Rams, the defending Super Bowl champions, Arizona on the assumption that Kyler Murray is back. Uh, you know, San Francisco, all of a sudden you look at that a NFC West and you wonder where would you, I mean, Seattle's been struggling in the last couple of years just protecting Russell Wilson. Does that mean they're going to be able to protect Locke that much better? Yeah, no, no, they're fourth. They're, I mean, you go into the season, you look at them as the fourth team. You're going to have a hard time separating, I think, the other three. Uh, San Francisco, you can you can doubt them all you want. I love their I love their defense. I like them at the line of scrimmage. I love what they did. <clears throat> Excuse me. I love what they did. You know, draft wise with some of the bodies they got to improve themselves. Um, you know, L.A. tough as nails, and you know, like I said, Kyler Murray in them. But Seattle is definitely right now. They can play the underdog. No respect blah, 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 all that stuff, like crazy, at least for the first month or, two, month or two, until they, you know, blow their cover come early September, because they've got a couple of games there in early September that I think are going to, they're going to tell you a lot about what that season is going to be like. You, um, uh, I mean, you live in a, in a city like Atlanta uh, for the first time in a long time. Matt Ryan's not going to be the quarterback there. So is Atlanta better or worse by not having Matt Ryan? Oh, I think you have to assume until proven otherwise. And it's going to take an awful lot to prove otherwise um, that they're worse. And what part of that game, what part of their game is going to show up, you know, with enough oomph to sort of make up for that? You know, they open up with New Orleans at home. Then they have the Rams in L.A. Then they go to Seattle. So there's back-to-back -back West Coast. Hmm trips that's not going to be easy that's that's not going to be easy at all and their fourth game is going to be cleveland and 
God knows what Cleveland's going to be like. Yeah, right. You know, who knows <laughs> what they're going to be like come the season. But, you know, they're, they're, Atlanta's going to have – they should probably aspire to 500. If they got to 500, they would be in a great situation by most measurements when you look at their sort of – their talent. Because they're, they're like Seattle. They're like several other teams in the league right now, unfortunately – where they don't have like the big dog at the quarterback position. And that almost makes you an afterthought these days in the NFL if you don't have that, that big dog. So now you look at, here's Indianapolis that trades for Matt Ryan. Carson Wentz is now in Washington. Marcus Mariota is now in Atlanta. And Russell Wilson's in Denver, as we mentioned. Uh, yeah, conveniently, I've, I've eliminated Deshaun Watson for the moment because I'm expecting the NFL to suspend him for how long, I don't know. But they, they gave up a boatload to get him. Yeah. You know, that I, I, I can't begin to tell you how many wrong messages that whole thing sends. Right. Um, I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm you know, it's... For a lot of various reasons, I, I'm I'm just not a fan of how that all worked out. The amount of money in that deal, you know, how much of it is going to be paid out in some of those twenty-something odd, you know, civil cases that come come on along later on. I've got no clue, um, but yeah, it's I think it's silly and it's an incredibly bad look for the league. Completely agree. No argument here. Um, Aaron Rodgers has not shown up at OTAs. I don't know what to make of that at this point, but he's not going to have his top receiver for the first time in a long while. How far back does Green Bay fall without a receiver of the quality of Devontae Adams? Um, you know what? I'll, I'll be honest. I, I don't think they fall much at all. You know, it's their their offense is going to be the offense that Aaron Rodgers makes it, and that's what it was like <laughs> last year. It was what it was like the year before. It's been like that every year since Brett left. He's he is what they are, and it's not going to be up to Jordan Love. It's going to be up to up to Aaron Rodgers, and they they still have you know a pretty good little stable of running backs. They still got a pretty decent. I I really like the Christian Watson kid that they drafted. I think he's got some serious upside to him. Um, they got Amari Rogers in there. They got Sammy Watkins. Uh, I, I think they're going to be a really good offense. And it's a lot of it's going to depend on how healthy that offensive line can stay, you know, Bakhtiari and Runyon and the rest of them. If those guys specifically the tackles can stay healthy, that means you keep Aaron Rodgers everything on time and if he can sit and look and throw there are not many defenses currently drawing breath that aren't real susceptible against Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball you know it's interesting in the entire time that Aaron Rodgers has been the quarterback of Green Bay they have not drafted a first round offensive weapon yeah that's amazing yeah <laughs> it's it, it's it's just it's the, the only thing more amazing than that was that whole Devontae Adams went where? <laughs> <laughs> when, when, that, when that happened, 
and then you know the draft happened and you know they everyone's kind of poo-pooed you know this kid christian watson um is a a big good speed and now i know he's a north dakota state guy so everybody wants to kind of poo-poo it's a small program and whatnot but think of a, a guy that's that big and has that big of a wingspan being a wide receiver in that offense for that quarterback for a guy that can throw the ball you know he can throw it most quarterbacks aspire to be able to hit a porthole i mean he can hit a hole the size of a football not a porthole he can hit the size of a football so you got a guy with that kind of wingspan that gets some kind of chemistry with him i i I just think it's going to even expand what aaron Rodgers and what that offense can do well, keep in mind, they traded up to get him. So obviously they must have high regard for him. Uh, with all of the movement during the offseason, is there one particular thing that you looked at and said, wow, I never saw that coming? Um, might have been the Javante Adams thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I, I, if, you know, especially with the background, you know, how good he's been and how vocal Aaron Rodgers has been. I just thought, you know, you know what? There's no way they're going to let that guy get out of town. There's no way he's going to leave and force his way out. Well, there's a Fresno State reunion going on in Las Vegas, and I, for one, was pretty shocked to see that happen. It's interesting to note, uh, with all the constant ongoing discussion about contracts, we're talking about Kyler Murray wants a new deal. It would seem that the next guy uh, in, in the pecking order is Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the whole theory, though, Howard. And we've talked about this before. For all the outrage at times over contract, and we just sort of casually mentioned a somewhere south of $300 million deal for a guy like Kyler Murray, um, whoever the next guy up in the rotation is, is going to be the highest paid guy. That's just... You know, at, at one point it was Matt Ryan, and people were so outraged. What's he done? Well, he had his contract come up at the right time. Then it was Jimmy Garoppolo, and people went, how do you play a, pay a guy that much? It's just, it's got nothing to do with reality. It's all about timing. Well, I might point to you about timing. You were just born too soon. I mean, you see, <laughs> the, you see the numbers that broadcasters are getting right now? <laughs> my, 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 my. How yes, do- I, yes, I. <laughs> I bet you have. Uh, I mean, I, Tom Brady gets, uh, I don't know, some, he's made more money in this contract, supposedly, than he made in his entire career as a player. And, you know, good for anybody to get what, you know. But based on what? I mean, has everybody gone nuts? Yeah, yeah. And I'll, you know what? God bless him. It's good for everybody. Um, everyone was outraged when Tony Romo signed his deal with CBS, and now he's working at a discounted price. Yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Uh, but, hey, you know what? It's, uh, it's not an easy – you know well, it's not an easy thing to do. And you, you could go down a pretty significant laundry list of all-time greats on the field that couldn't play dead on camera. And, you know, I just, that's just kind of how that works. So I, I got to say, God bless him and good luck. Hey, all I could do is look at uh, and a guy that you know a little bit something about, Joe Montana. Everybody thought he was going to be the next coming. 
And, you know, it didn't work out uh, for whatever the reason. But I'm looking at Brady. I mean, here's a guy who takes a job at the network uh, after he unretires and comes back to play. And you just wonder, uh, are we ever going to get to the point where saying this, in fact, is Tom Brady's last year with that contract hanging out there? Uh, I'm just wondering what the network is saying to him. You know, we want you sooner than later. Yeah. Well, we know one thing about his, his playing career. There aren't many guys out there on the field that are taking a discount to play. So not in today's market. And it's uh, it's kind of crazy to, to think about what he could possibly, you know, it, it, with nobody laying a finger on him. The only thing he's going to have to do is travel, you know, during the week and do some more interviews. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it will, you know, if he played as long as he has does something hasten the end of your career i don't think so he's gonna he's gonna finish what he wants to finish and a lot of that has to do with you know what's going on at in tampa and how that team how healthy they stay and if he can they can win another game or two than they did last year i don't have i'm just going to make a prediction i don't think tom brady does anything but succeed i mean you i mean from the time he was drafted 199th in the draft, six-round pick. I mean, he's been battling obstacles, and now all of a sudden, here he is, considered to be the greatest of all time. Uh, just look at the record. Look at the amount of rings he's won. I just, you know, I think this pressure is on. The guy he's going to be working with. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's got a, the, the guy's got a sense of humor. He's obviously got an, an unprecedented type of work ethic, um, and he's got the, the personality for it. So it, it should be, and I'm sure that's why they're betting what they're betting. Uh, it should be a pretty safe bet that you're going to have somebody that's, that's very, very special. Um, the unfortunate thing for the network will be you've only got about a three-hour window every week you can really use it in. Because, you know, it's, if you're going to properly prepare for that, for that job, it, it's hard to be doing too many different things you know, during the course of a week. And he, you know, he'll he'll be on the pregame show every week, and he'll be on, you know, interviews and whatnot. But he'll do most of his time doing what he does right now, studying studying opponents. The only thing is, he'll have two of them every week instead of just one. Yeah, but you know what's interesting, Randy, is that, and and you've been around this business long enough to understand it. Uh, nobody puts a game on to see who the announcers are, with one exception in my memory, and that's John Madden. Be, I mean, and Randy Cross. Uh, beyond that, uh, I mean, beyond that, nobody tunes into games to see who the announcers are. No, that's true. It is. But you know what? It's in the short term. Um, one of the reasons you pay the way they've paid is people will click on just because it's going to be Brady. And there's a value to that. Yeah. There may, there may be a value to that for the foreseeable future, but at least in the short term, there's a definite value to that. And, you know, there'll be a, it'll be quantifiable because, you know, you go from week one in one year to week one in the next year, I guarantee you ratings wise, there's going to be a nice jump. Whatever game they decide to put Tom Brady on, there's going to be a nice jump in the ratings just because he's there. And people are going to want to listen to him. One of the reasons Tony Romo is so good at what he does 
and he's so much fun to listen to is he a, has a lot of fun and he's a smart football guy and he and he can he can basically you know put on his little swami hat and tell you what he thinks is going to happen and he's got the sort of the chops to be right and i gotta think brady's going to be really really good at the exact same thing and that's going to make people watch and that's going to move the needle before i let you go uh, a lot of talk about drew Brees. uh something uh, obviously there's a mutual agreement between he and nbc i'm just wondering is there any way in the world that you can convince drew Brees to come back and play in new orleans um well if there's anywhere you'd want to come back and play be there um with the saints i guess so so i guess i guess there's a chance so you're saying there's a chance um i wouldn't bet on it you know that that walking away and then walking back in doesn't usually work out real great especially when you've been away but uh i really liked him i i liked what he did on air i thought he was i thought he was pretty good and that's not an easy uh, an easy window and a, an easy scene to be to be successful in. It's too bad uh, it kind of happened the way, the way it happened, and you know that'll be up to him and his family because you know that that'll be a whole different. His life goes back to you know back to the salt mines, if you will. I, mean, I know it's a lot of money, and salt mines a bad analogy, and blah blah blah. But um, it's 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 pretty different being a full time quarterback and being a full time broadcaster. Well, look, he's very popular because of the kind of person he is. He's a very nice guy, aside from being a great competitor. I've been in his company a couple of times, and every time I was, well, there was something about him that you just, you just immediately liked because you, just, you knew that he wasn't pulling your chain. He was being forthright, and I admired that. And then, of course, the guy he played for in, in, in Sean Payton, same kind of guy. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree 100%. I just there are there are people out there in sports that when you see them and you talk to them and you what you gotta you, your first instinct is come on they can't be that nice a guy that can't be real <laughs> and you spend some time around them and you go you know what son of a gun <laughs> I like that guy that guy's pretty nice um yeah so he, and he's one of those guys he really is it's uh it, it, it's good to see things like that that happen to happen to really good people. So yeah, I, I think eventually it's all going to work out as a positive for him. Dad. Always enjoy talking to you, my friend. You stay safe. Thanks a million. Thank you, Howard. You too. He is Randy Cross, outstanding broadcaster, outstanding player, outstanding guy. More important that he's that than anything else. I'm going to stay in the uh, broadcasting vein, if I may by bringing in one of the top broadcasters that there is right now. And I'm talking about the great Iron Eagle from CBS and the Brooklyn Nets. Yellow. Mr. Eagle, how are you, sir? Hey, what's happening, Howard? He is the great Iron Eagle. I got to ask you before I get into into, into anything more, uh, your dad was what we referred to as a Borscht Belt comedian in the Catskill Mountains in New York. Um, now, he's been gone, what, about 14 years or so? Yes. Yeah, but did, in your life, did you ever see him perform? Oh, hundreds of times. Yeah, that was my life for every weekend for the first, 
six years of my existence was going up. My mom was the opening act, Monica Maris, singer, uh, eventually actress, uh, ended up being part of a show called Legends in Concert in Las Vegas, where she played Judy Garland before she passed away. Very talented. And she opened for him, and then he would do his shtick. And <laughs> I would say 1976, 75, they would bring me on stage at the end, put me in a handsome suit, <laughs> and I would do five minutes of impressions with Howard Cosell leading the way, interviews with Muhammad Ali, W.C. Fields. I, it, it was a whole, it was a whole thing. I would tell you this. Uh... I'm a big fan of Catskill Mountain comedians. I grew up in that environment. We would go there, up there all the time, and even even later on. And more recently, I became friendly with uh, two great comedians, Freddie Roman and Malzi Lawrence, who passed away last year. Yes. Uh, but the thing that I always found interesting with those two guys in particular, like we would go out when when we lived in Florida, we would go out with their wives for dinner, my wife and I, and. It was not a, a dinner where they would do jokes. They would talk about things that actually happened to them at all of the places up in the Catskill Mountains that was funnier than the material. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt about it. Uh, my, my dad was very introspective. He was very professorial in many ways. He was exceptionally bright and well-read. And I think the perception is, oh, you're a stand-up comedian. That means you've got to be on all the time. It's jokes, 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 jokes. It's not. It's your interpretation of life, and that's what leads to the funny moments. He just had a really interesting perspective, and it obviously rubbed off on me because uh, I just saw the kind of person he was, how he paid attention to things, the minute details and things. And then if people approached him, how he handled people, how he treated people, he made them feel like a million bucks, and then he would turn it on. If there was an audience... Uh, that that was different, but you know what you and Phyllis got was a behind-the-scenes look with Freddie Roman and Mousy Lawrence of how their minds worked and why they were such geniuses on stage. Both were mm. terrific, terrific stand-ups. Mousy was hilarious. Freddie was was a, a showman, and they both knew how to work a room. And that that's part of it is understanding that dynamic. You get on stage. I never saw my dad not do well he always killed always <laughs> it was guaranteed material he knew the audience he knew what was required in that moment uh, as you know howard going up there in the catskills it, it was a way of life and people went up there to eat to swim to play golf uh, to fraternize socialize to drink and they just wanted to be entertained and by hook or by crook that was your job i saw both Freddie and Mal, well, I don't know, 25 times each. And then I saw the, the show they had, Catskills on Broadway, where Phyllis and I went to see the show, and, and Mal, uh, Freddie hooked us up with some tickets and said, come backstage after the show. Well, Mal closed the show, and he does a joke. He's talking about his first wife, who was Sicilian, who was rare, is that she was the only Italian person he'd ever been around who couldn't cook. So, <laughs> so... Uh, he's telling, he starts to tell the story that he, she puts a plate of food down in front of him and he would take the plate of food when she wasn't looking and put it down behind, underneath the table and the dog would lick the food off the plate. <laughs> yeah. He says, and then 
the dog would lick his backside to get the taste out of his mouth. <laughs> Ian, I'm telling you, I didn't hear the last five. My dad actually understudied. <laughs> in Catskills on Broadway and replaced Dick Capri oh, yeah. for a couple of weeks here and there. Dick oh. was also a, a really funny man. So he got to experience that with, uh, I believe it was Marilyn Michaels, was, yep. was the fourth member of, of that crew. So that was a thrill to, to see my dad on, on Broadway doing that show. And again, as you know, because you went there, it was guaranteed material. It was guaranteed sure. laughter. The audience went there with the expectation of what it was going to be, and it just delivered Every time. So when Mal tells this joke, uh, we go backstage and I said, Mal, you got to do the last five minutes of your act. He goes, why? I said, I didn't hear a word after my wife and I was laughing so hard. We didn't have to hear a word you said after the dog licked his backside to get the taste out of his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, they're just a special breed. Let's get into get. I, I just just talking with Randy Cross, who, who you know, uh, and the the money that's gone crazy good, I guess, for the people that are getting it. Uh, with all what announcers are getting paid right now. Now you know, as long as you've been in this business, nobody tunes in games to hear the announcers. Probably with one exception, aside from yourself, and that would be John Madden, right? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. But. We may have a new one on the horizon because, I mean, here's Tom Brady who got a boatload of money. More money in one broadcasting contract than he ever made in his career. And here's a guy that I really believe that early on, first couple of games that he does, there will be a huge tune-in factor just to see how he does. Oh, no doubt. The curiosity factor will be very high. I think part of the reason you get into business with Tom Brady is the idea that People want to see whether or not this guy has the goods. Having been in, I don't know, 25, 30, 35 production meetings with him over the years, he is really charming. He is really smart. And everything that that I've been exposed to with him would lead me to believe that he'll do really well at this. He'll do really well at whatever it is he wants to do. If this is what he wants to do, He'll put his mind to it, he'll do the work, he'll study, he'll prepare, and he'll bring a new, fresh perspective. He's a football genius. Uh, Basically, on our crew, we realized pretty early on that he was the only guy we had to talk to. We would do the meetings, and that was part of the deal. You would talk to two players on the offense, two players on the defense, and the head coach. But ultimately, Tom Brady, when you're doing a Patriot game, was the sole person that Mm -hmm. you needed to speak with to know what was going on, to have a feel for what they were looking for and the keys to the game, what he saw as as what could be the narrative. And it was an immense help to Dan Fouts. Dan was a sports anchor. You know, Dan, you've worked with him. He was a sports anchor in San Francisco right. when Tom Brady was in high school. So Dan was at KPIX TV doing the 6 and 11 o'clock news. And they did a feature on the top high school prospects in the area. And Dan still had the video of a walk and talk of him and Tom Brady, 17 years old, doing a sit down interview, then walking as they took that shot to fill the rest of the piece with. And it was amazing footage. So they had a bond going way back. And the meetings were always just so fun and informative and 
very at ease. And I think that's the key. You know, Tom Brady in front of a camera, it's not going to be an issue. He'll handle himself. The, the part that everybody wants to see is whether or not he can bring his knowledge and put it into the proper sound bites necessary to be a great analyst. I think he can. Well, the way I'm reading it is that he's going to be teamed with Kevin Burkhart, uh, who both of us know, uh, very solid, no question about oh, yeah. it. yeah, terrific. But I, I think Kevin will understand that a lot of people are tuning in to see Brady and so on. I don't think he feels the pressure one bit. He's been doing it long enough to, that he'll handle the situation. But, uh, look, this, this has been going crazy ever since Tony Romo got the big payday, you know, from CBS, and now you got... You know, Buck and Aikman uh, making a big score on Monday Night Football and so on. Look, your name has been linked to a bunch of stuff. I, I'm not going to insult you by saying, do you pay attention to that? Of course you do. Oh, yeah. Uh, no doubt about it. When your career is, uh, is the topic of conversation, when some of these machinations are taking place, you certainly make sure you know that your ducks are in a row and uh, you have an idea of, of what's happening. But... I will say this, for me, on a personal level, I truly have always been focused on what's the next game, what's the next assignment. Mm -hmm. If you get caught up in the big picture of what this guy is making or what this network is doing, that's where you lose perspective on what it is that you do for a living. Uh, you get judged on your last game. That's how it works. It doesn't matter how many you've banked. It doesn't matter how many you've done. Big events, small events, it doesn't matter. So if you lose sight of what the ingredients are to have a successful broadcast and you get caught up in all the other stuff, it's, it's not a good recipe for success. So the way I've maintained my sanity throughout this and all these years of doing it, and you lived it, you understand it, is focus on who you're working with, how do you make them the best they can be? Because that's going to make for a better broadcast. Are you a good teammate? Do you work well with others, with your producer, your director, your staff person, your video coordinator, all of it? And look at it as one big family, one big team, and do your job well. And then the other stuff takes care of it itself, hopefully, in, in those situations. If you do quality work, then good things will happen. He's Ian Eagle of CBS Television, uh, does college basketball, pro, pro, uh, pro basketball, etc., and, and of course the voice of the Brooklyn Nets. Let's deal with the Nets first. I don't, there was a stretch there where I don't think when the Nets were having their difficulty getting swept by Boston, when the Kyrie Irving topic came up ad nauseum uh, to the point of where, and I thought Sean Marks handled it exceptionally well but now they're in a situation where damned if they do, damned if they don't, is are the Nets better with Kyrie Irving? Of course they are. But at what price? Yeah, I think that's the question they're asking themselves and the question that they have to answer as an organization. The key to all this when Kyrie continues to be a topic of conversation is winning. If you win, the topic shifts. So you win game one against Boston and you change the whole tenor of that series. You have one defensive stop at the end or have a better possession on the last possession before Boston came down the floor and Tatum scored on the inside bucket at the horn. Everything might change in that series. I'm not saying the Nets win the series, but they put pressure on the Celtics. They put some heat. And who knows then if Durant and Kyrie can, can get it rolling. Well, you lose that game. 
you lose game two, you come home, you lose uh, a game three where you never really showed the necessary fight. And then game four, you could just feel that it was fracturing and it was never going to get back on track. And now all of these questions have popped up about what's the future of this team? What's it going to look like? Will Kevin Durant be happy if Kyrie is not on this squad? Can the Nets commit that kind of money and those years extended contract to Kyrie if they don't know what they're getting on a day-in, day-out basis? And I don't know the answers. I'm not sure they do right now. That's, mm-hmm. that's part of this process and trying to figure out who's going to be here and who's not. Well, you bring up the, the a very important point. Let's go back to February, and they make the famous uh, James Harden for Ben Simmons and the other pieces uh, and draft choices that went along with it. Did once Can one side right now claim they won that trade? No. The, the only thing I can say from the Nets' perspective that I know as a fact, they thought it was irreparable. So the idea that Harden was going to stay and they would just play it out and try to repair it, it was gone, and it had been gone for nearly a month. Now, it happened to coincide to the time that Kevin Durant got injured and wasn't around the team, and Harden got disillusioned and didn't want to be a part of it anymore. And it might have been Harden's feelings on Kyrie and the fact that he didn't see Kyrie as being all in, but there were members of the organization that didn't see Harden as being all in, including potentially Kevin Durant, based on how Harden showed up to training camp this past year, dealing with his injured hamstring and and looking overweight and out of shape and not possessing the same burst that he had in previous years. And that became more and more obvious as the season went on. So I think the Nets looked at it as an untenable situation. And at that point, they were just trying to get the most they could get in a deal and Ben Simmons was right there for the taking Philadelphia was highly interested in fact that was the team that Harden wanted to go to that was the team that coveted him and they did have a star that fit into the same salary structure with more years left on the deal and there's no doubt they did their research they thought Ben Simmons was on board they thought he would be good to go they thought he would be part of a playoff push and we don't know about the first part which is being on board what we do know is the last part he wasn't good to go the back became a serious issue it resulted in surgery and now you're going into 22 23 not knowing what you're going to get they're still trying to put their best foot forward and believe that ben simmons is going to be a productive member of this team but there are no guarantees to that and that's again what the team is facing they're trying to figure out what they're going to look like and who's going to be a part of the thing and whether they can count Ben Simmons in, that's not a 100% guarantee. They're approaching it with all the right viewpoints of creating an environment for him to succeed and doing the things necessary to get him comfortable. But the proof is in the pudding. You got to see him on the court and you got to see what kind of mindset he has once they actually play the games. He's Ian Eagle of CBS and the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, what we've seen so far, and I don't think there's anything that's been more shocking, and nothing shocks me in this, in this business. The Phoenix Suns getting ousted the way they did, that shocked me. Agreed. I'm with you 100%. I did not anticipate that. 
I thought Dallas would play them well. I thought uh, the Mavericks had a lot of fight to them. I had seen them in the previous round against the Utah Jazz. I actually did what turned out to be the, the clinching game, game six down in Salt Lake City. And I thought they would be a formidable foe. I did not necessarily think that they would win the series in the manner that they did. And the the clobbering that took place right. in the final game against Phoenix was eye-opening. I thought the Suns were very complete. I love the way that they play team basketball. And I thought at some point Chris Paul would be at the mountaintop. And it just doesn't appear that it's going to happen that way because it's just going to get harder and harder. Yep. Last year they had a legitimate shot. This year, everybody thought they had another legitimate shot, and they came up short. So it happens in the league. As we know, Howard, it's hard to win a championship. Everybody is gunning for the same thing when the season starts, and everybody goes in with some form of optimism that they might have the squad. But as we've learned in this league, it is really hard to find the perfect recipe for success and that's why golden state has been so impressive some of the names have changed yet they've got the core group and they've got a style and a system that works it's beautiful basketball and it really is a joy to watch it's changed the game there's no doubt about it yep you've seen it i've seen it you've got young kids that are just shooting threes 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 whether or not it's good for the game i don't know i do know it's exciting it's an exciting brand of basketball and it's effective when you've got snipers like that on the outside, like Golden State has, I uh, I felt pretty confident that Golden State was going to win the game last night. Oh, they didn't. Dallas put together a, a performance that got them to victory. They may be just delaying the inevitable, but I don't bet on sports. I you should know that because if yeah. I did, I'd be living under the highway in a tornado box. <laughs> With you, <laughs> I, I co-sign that. I haven't bet on a sporting event. <laughs> Since sophomore year of college, I bet on a Monday night football game, the Raiders and the Chargers, and I was all set up to win 250 bucks, and it didn't go the way that I thought in the second half, and that ended me. That was way too much stress than I needed in my life. I've never bet since. Uh, getting to the East, and we knew that this series was going to be a dogfight between Boston and Miami, both excellent defensive teams, uh, but injury factor has reared its ugly head. Uh, Butler has not been 100%. Kyle Lowry has not been 100%. Marcus Smart has not been 100%. You might say the same about Robert Williams, too, their center. Uh, and so far, the home team has prevailed in this series. Tonight, they go back to Miami for game five. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Boston won the game, but Here's the one thing I feel confident in saying. Assuming that Golden State prevails over Dallas, they could very well be sitting around for four or five days waiting for the end of this series. Yep. And the winner of this series is going to show the battle scars, and you wonder how that will affect the, the, uh, the NBA Finals. Yeah, throw Tyler Hero into the mix as well, yep. who has been dealing with injuries. To me, Boston is the better team. They... They should win this series. Uh, they're set up and built to win this series, in my mind. But Miami somehow finds a way. And I think a lot of it has to do with Eric Spolstra and the way they play and the way they compete. But if you're asking me to pick the winner of the series, I think it will be the Celtics. And we're going to see Boston, Golden State, 
in the finals, and I think that's probably the best matchup that, that the NBA could have hoped for, all things considered. If you just look at team chemistry, the way those two teams were playing second half of the season, going into the postseason, uh, they were both hot teams. Uh, they both earned their positions. Look, it can still go sideways for Boston, as you mentioned. Injuries have played a, a huge role. It, it could still play a big role. All it takes is one injury to Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown to derail their chances. But I think Boston is the better team. Uh, I think Miami is extremely well coached. Uh, I have yep. nothing but respect and high regard for Eric Spolstra, the way he does his job, how he's done it. He's done it the right way. He, he did all of the necessary things to be a head coach and a successful one in the league. And when you sit down and talk to him, you can see why he is so successful. Uh, he's just got a real fire, passion. Uh, he's got the the knowledge and he knows how to how to translate it to his players and give them, inject them with confidence. There's a lot of Pat Riley in in what he does. But to me, Boston was the best team that I saw in the Eastern Conference in the second half of the year, and it's playing out that way in, in this postseason. Uh, you look at, uh, at Golden State, Steve Kerr. Well, look, he played for uh, Popovich. He played for Phil Jackson. I mean, he's, he's a terrific coach. And watching him today and the uh, the tape of his presser from yesterday, where yep. he went after uh, the elected officials for not doing something about gun control and so on, I mean, he is a passionate guy about that. I've talked to him several times where he's not afraid to say what's on his mind, and he's a pretty smart guy. Yeah, I've been really fortunate. I, I worked with Steve a few times at TNT, and I was just blown away by his intellect i was blown away by his sense of humor by his knowledge and by his humility uh, this is not an egomaniacal person by any stretch he's accomplished so much yet you sit down with him there's still the same uh, everyman regular quality and natural curiosity about other things not just what's happening in his life he's genuinely curious about what's happening in your life and that's what makes him such a great communicator it's helped make him one of the best coaches that we've seen multiple championships a hall of famer based on what he's done as a head coach he was a terrific player he was a brilliant broadcaster he really was great yep. at the broadcasting thing and to see him speak out on things that matter to him we know about his personal connection what happened with his dad yep. and how that affected him and affected his viewpoint. He's not afraid to say what he believes, and I respect that greatly. He he is uh, really a, a true Renaissance man and uh, somebody that I have uh, just nothing but admiration for in, in what he's done in his life. You know, and he put it in proper perspective, uh, not to get off on, on the political tangent, but uh, you put things in proper perspective. You, you know, we're in the sports business, but yet reality sets in when you hear about children, little kids being murdered. Uh, if, I mean, what? where are we going? You start asking yourself, and you listen to Steve Kerr, what he had to say, and you say to yourself, yeah, yeah, somebody's got to do something about it. And, you know, look, I can tell you this about Steve Kerr. When he was still a player in San Antonio, and I was doing the Nets. We go down to San Antonio for a game, and I had never met him before. Somebody introduced me to him. Oh, I was friendly with Avery Johnson. That's what it was. He introduces me to Steve Kerr. He goes, Howard, David, I listen to you doing football. I said, oh, great. 
He goes, no, I'm a big football fan. The first time I met him, he went off on football. He knew as much as anybody about the, about the NFL. And every time I saw him afterwards, he'd strike up a conversation talking about football to where I just immediately gravitated to this guy. He's just very oh, yeah. likable. Yeah, it's, it's not surprising how successful he's been, whatever he's tried to do as a general manager, as a broadcaster, as a coach. But as a person, uh, there's, there's just a genuine quality to, to who he is. And that's going way back to the days that you just described when he could have made that a two-second encounter, but that's not how he's wired. He actually cares about people, and that's why he said what he has said, not just this time around, but other examples of it. Uh, he's he's going to be in the forefront, and he realizes that uh, this is a time in, in our country that uh, people that have a microphone and have a voice need to use it. So you're not working right now. You're just kind of goofing off and getting on your wife Elisa's nerves, right? <laughs> is there a camera in my house? Do you know this is a fact? <laughs> Are you speculating on this? No, I think I'm pre I can only speak for myself. I know what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to check in with Phyllis, see what she has to say about it. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you, so you don't have any games to do between now and what? Yeah, NFL preseason. Hey, there you go. Not well, a bad deal. Yeah, it's uh, it's all good, man. So I know you don't you don't play golf, do you? No, no. Why not? You no, could I... use the aggravation. <laughs> I could come up with better things to do for four hours of my day. <laughs> hey, stay safe, my friend. You take care. All right, Howard. Great talking to you, bud. We'll do it again soon. You got it. See you, man. He's Iron Eagle. No, not kid. That guy from like kid. Yeah, he's younger than me, so he's a kid. He's one of the better broadcasters in the business. Not because he's a friend of mine, just because he is. And he's just going up and up and up and up and up. It's nice. It's nice. Sometimes you see good people get what they deserve. And then you say to yourself, then there are people that don't get what they deserve. <laughs> but that's a subject for another day. You stay safe. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.